Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, editor of Best Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Joining me is Brendan Noonan from our communications team. We're pleased to have with us today Attorney Julie Firstman from the law firm of Foster Swift Collins and Smith PC in Farmington Hills, Michigan. Julie is a shareholder with the firm with 27 years experience in business litigation, insurance defense, insurance coverage, and equine law. Julie is also a featured speaker, lecturer, and teacher, a past president of the State Bar of Michigan, and has also authored over 250 articles and three books. Julie, we're very pleased to have you with us today. Thank you for having me here today. Today's topic is on animal livestock and equine liability and insurance coverage matters, and Brennan Noonan will lead off with our first question. Uh, Julie, we're all familiar with life insurance policies that we can buy, which are designed to provide a benefit to our designated beneficiary when we die. Other than the obvious fact that it insures an animal, such as a cow or horse, is a policy of livestock insurance any different from a policy of life insurance on a human? Good question. It is different. I would say that the number one differentiating factor between uh, livestock or equine insurance and life insurance is that with equine insurance or animal insurance, the owner can sometimes euthanize the animal and still collect policy proceeds. That would be, of course, subject to certain policy conditions. But that compares to life insurance because, well, it's not quite the case where you can uh, basically euthanize or do away with a family member and collect. We know that that doesn't quite uh, work the same. There's another differentiating factor, uh, and that is, and this is a very important one, but With livestock insurance, which, of course, would be equine insurance and even cattle insurance, the insurer under the typical policy form has a right, and in fact, it's a duty of the policyholder to keep the insurance company notified during the pendency of the policy of anything adverse, and that would be an injury, illness, and lameness. And I began by saying the insurer has a right. What I mean is that the insurer has a right to intervene in the animal's care and to determine if the animal that's insured by that company is receiving proper care and attention. And that's a significant right, and I can assure you that insurance companies take that right very seriously. Of course, that compares to life insurance, and by nature of those policies, the communication that the insurance company receives would probably be only at a few points, and I suppose that would be at application, renewal, and we know that insurance companies with uh, life insurance policies may or may not care about changes in condition upon renewal. depends on the policy. And then, of course, we would contact the insurance company on a life policy if there's a claim. There's a continuing communication that the livestock insurance company expects with their policies, much different from life insurance. Uh, What specifically is an equine? Well, we think of equine commonly as a horse or a pony, but there, believe it or not, are definitions found within statutes around the country that extend the definition to mules or donkeys. From an insurance standpoint, I can tell you that I'm unaware of any companies that have insurance on mules or donkeys, but it's certainly possible. It wouldn't surprise me. Typically, when we're talking about equine insurance, we're talking to owners of horses or ponies. Uh, Julie, why would individuals insure their animals, and are these typically race and show horses that are insured? And when insurers assess value for coverage purposes, does the owner's sentimental value attach into it? Good question. And there would be so many reasons why somebody would seek out insurance on their horse or their pony. But when it really comes down to it, it would probably be fair to say that the number one reason is replacement costs. If an insured animal is particularly valuable, then 
the potential mortality benefit if the animal has to be euthanized or dies would allow that owner the income to receive funds to presumably buy a replacement. Of course, we know that the policy doesn't earmark funds for any purpose, but that would be fair to say is the number one reason people get the insurance. But there's another coverage benefit, interestingly, and it's unique to this equine insurance policy type, and that is that most of the insurers who sell equine insurance also offer a special coverage endorsement to the mortality policy that is very enticing to the uh, equine industry. And what is it, you're probably wondering. And that's the endorsement known as the Major Medical Insurance Coverage Endorsement. What it does is, if you've got a horse insured through a mortality policy for an additional sum, you can receive coverage that will protect you against the cost of significant medical expense, such as surgery for an intestinal problem, major lameness surgery. The benefits that these policies offer, well, they can vary. Sometimes it's 7500 but sometimes more. But the other interesting thing about this major medical insurance coverage endorsement is that there are instances, and I've seen it, where the major medical insurance endorsement offers more coverage than the value of the animal or equal to the value of the animal. That enticement draws a lot of people with horses of marginal value to get this insurance. So we get to your question, is this type of policy purchased by racehorse owners and horse owners who show Not necessarily, but usually yes. You'll find people who have maybe family pet horses that they don't show or race, but have value, and uh, those horses can be insured. And to the question of whether an insurance company can insure for sentimental value, the answer is surprisingly, uh, or perhaps not surprisingly, no. When the mortality insurance company's underwriters are evaluating, they're going to look at the typical things that we would expect. They want the pedigree, the purchase price a show record, race record, produce record, all these factors that will help this insurance company learn the actual cash value of the animal. And if the policy is issued in such a way that the company accepts the value and issues an agreed value policy, that means the company is pretty much locked in on providing coverage for a specific amount with some very narrow exceptions. So fair to say sentimental value, well, that just won't do from an insurability standpoint. Now, Julie, why do insurance policies, particularly equine insurance policies, include a requirement for immediate or prompt notice to the insurer of a lame, sick, or injured animal? That is really one of the major differentiating factors of equine insurance from just about any other policy for this. We may see notice provisions in liability policy forms and other types of policy forms. These equine insurance policy forms have the immediate notice requirement, and the reason is that the company, once they accept an animal and insure an animal, the company has a vested interest in that animal's well-being. The company has truly a vested interest in the quality of care and attention that that animal receives. So when we're talking about immediate notice from the standpoint of a policy of mortality insurance, we mean that the immediate notice needs to be given so that the company's claim department or perhaps independent adjusters can engage in those critical inquiries. They want to know what the cause of a lameness is. If the problem is an intestinal problem, where it came from, what kind of care the horse is receiving, how it's doing. And I can assure you that the insurance companies, at least the ones that I've been getting together with and working with, have staff that are ready 24 hours a day to take those calls to monitor the care and attention. I also know, interestingly, that they make it easy. If you take out a policy of mortality insurance, It's difficult to say that you didn't know the number to call because a lot of the companies will give you 
that 1-800 number in cards, a stall card or a card that comes with the policy, sometimes several cards, they'll also put it on the policy, sometimes have an extra cover page on the policy with the number that you need to call. So the companies will make it easy for you, and they want those calls, and they've got staff waiting to take those calls, even at 3 in the morning, even on holidays, just about any time. But, again, the purpose is these insurance companies on uh, equine policies need to know the continuing care and attention of that animal because it factors into coverage questions that may come up. Julie, does the insurer care if an insured or policyholder gives late notice, especially if the animal is receiving good care from the owner after illness or injury? That question has actually been decided by a couple of courts, and it comes up in this context. When the insured gives late notice to the company and the company is deprived of the opportunity to evaluate the care, assess the horse, find out what's going on, the insured will often say that it doesn't matter. Perhaps they'll say the company wasn't prejudiced because the horse was under the care of a a veterinarian picked by the insured. But that issue doesn't quite hold up in a couple of recent cases, including one that I just handled in federal court in Illinois. And in that case, the court looked at the fact that the uh, notice to the insurance company was late. And sure, the insured had been treating this horse with a veterinarian, but what mattered in that case was there was a 15-day delay in notice, and the veterinary attention, well, (laughs) that came a little bit later. So it's fair to say that courts do care about late notice being given, they do care, even if the insured says that the horse is under the care of a vet, because the fact is, a couple of courts have said, the insurance company has, is still entitled to its right to monitor the care, maybe even remove the animal to be attended by another veterinarian of the insurance company's own choosing. Why? Well, because the insurance company's policy gives them that right. So proper care and attention, even if the insured thinks it's being given, is a question that the insurance company is entitled to check out on its own. Uh, so, yes, and in answer to your question, the insurance company does care about the immediate notice being given. And even if the horse is under care of a veterinarian, the company still has the right to go in and evaluate. And, and that, as I indicated, is something that the courts have held up on, on the uh, insurance company's side even recently. Uh, with other policies, courts would typically excuse a policyholder's late notice if the insurance company wasn't prejudiced by it. Does prejudice factor in with equine and livestock insurance? Great question, and that question has been one put before judges in several cases. But the prevailing view, surprisingly, is this, and I suppose that's what makes this equine insurance discussion so interesting. Courts have in recent years recognized, and I shouldn't say recent years, courts have recognized this for decades, even since the 80s, that the uniqueness of an equine insurance policy is such that prejudice doesn't even factor in. So when the insured gives the company what would qualify as late notice and what wouldn't qualify as immediate notice, the uh, courts have recognized that prejudice is immaterial. It doesn't even have to be considered by the court because the mere fact that the insurance company was not given timely notice suggests that the company was prejudiced. But the courts have also noted that this is such a unique policy. I mean, you've already heard early on about how it differs from life insurance policy. Courts have recognized that it's that uniqueness of the insurance policy that makes prejudice irrelevant, simply because the insurance company has that continuing dialogue with the owner and that continuing involvement in monitoring the horse's care. Julie, as you mentioned, you were the lead counsel on a case that was just issued a few weeks ago from the federal court in Illinois, where the court sided with Great American Insurance against the plaintiff. And could you tell us briefly about this case and its significance? Absolutely. I'll try to keep it brief. 
That case was called Hauser, H-A-U-S-E-R, versus Great American Assurance Company. And I should note that the case was pending from as late as 2011. But we got the ruling from the court the day before the government shutdown. So we're quite pleased <laughs> that we, we got this before the government was uh, closed for a while. But what made that case interesting was that it was a policy of equine insurance on a horse that was used for jumping purposes, competing in jumping events. The owner of this horse, which insured it for about $80,000, shortly uh, around the time of the policy, put the horse in the care of someone else. The owner leased out the horse to someone. And it was during the course of that lease, allegedly, that the horse became lame. There were disputes that were briefed in the case about the potential for pre-existing lameness, but that didn't factor into the judge's ruling. The judge factored into and, and focused in on really one key issue. And the key issue the court noted was that when this horse became lame during the course of the uh, policy, the company was deprived of timely notice, and notice was given 15 days late, quickly on the facts. The animal was found to be lame, severely lame, actually, on June 27, 2011. It gets transferred to the uh, owner's chosen trainer uh, in another state on July 6. So we've got a passage of time there. Still no notice to the company. A few days later, July 11, a veterinarian evaluates the horse, finds the horse has a pretty serious lameness condition. And then the next day, notice is given. We're at 15 days. The company, when it got notice, did an investigation, denied the uh, coverage. But the owner in this lawsuit made a few arguments to the company. You might find them compelling. The owner was trying to overcome the tardy notice and made the argument first that uh, he didn't know about the problem. But the court noted that this policy, which is not so unique to the uh, industry, said it doesn't matter if you, the owner, don't know about a, a problem that requires notice. If the uh, members of your family, agents acting on your behalf, trainers, stables, whatever, know of the problem, it's imputed to you. So the court shot down that argument and said, sorry you don't know about the notice, animal owner. Other people did. It's imputed to you. That's not going to work. The owner also said, well, I, the other argument was, I notified the insurance company, in this case Great American, immediately after the condition was diagnosed and confirmed. His argument was, I needed to get a vet to check out the animal. But again, the court looked at the timeline. The vet didn't see the animal till day 14 of a lameness problem. It didn't quite buy that argument. It also felt the company should make its assessment, too. The court also looked at a couple of other points, one of which was, what's immediate notice? And looking purely at the fact that it's a term that's clear, unambiguous, they defined immediate as pretty much as quickly as possible, without delay. Fifteen days, the court said, that's insufficient. So the significance of this case is this is just another one of numerous cases that have upheld the importance of the policy's notice provision. And it's another case, too, where the company noted prejudice really need not factor in. So for those who insure animals under policies of mortality insurance, that is to say policyholders, this is just another wake-up call to keep the insurance company notified timely of any problem. Julie, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. That was Julie Fershman from the law firm of Foster Swift, Collins & Smith, PC in Farmington Hills, Michigan. Special thanks to Brennan Noonan from our communications team and to our producer, Brian Cohen. And thank you all for joining us for the Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, visit podcast.insuranceattorneysearch.com or go to online directories such as iTunes or Google or Yahoo's podcast directory. 
If you have any suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast.ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, joined by Brendan Noonan, and now this message. Best's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is used by decision makers at insurance companies responsible for selecting legal counsel and representation. The printed directory is distributed annually to insurance companies, non-insurance companies, third-party administrators, and corporate counsel around the world, and the online edition is accessible throughout the year. Your listing in Best's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is the most effective way to ensure that thousands of potential clients have access to your outstanding credentials. Here's why you should be listed in the number one insurance attorney reference. Your firm's credentials will be listed in our comprehensive reference guide, which is made available to thousands of insurance professionals globally, both in print and online. AMBEST listees are recognized as the most qualified in their field to represent the unique needs of insurance companies. Key decision makers rely on the directory to take the guesswork out of their selection process. They know that only the best are listed, those firms with a proven track record of excellence who are recommended by their insurance industry clients. And remember, one low rate guarantees year long visibility for your firm. We invite you to use our web application process to apply for a listing today. With our reasonable rates and broad exposure, there's no more effective way to get the attention of the insurance industry. For more information about Best's Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys, visit www.insuranceattorneysearch.com. 